Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Alchemist Pop Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Hildebrand, and we are your number one source for everything cannabis in New York State. Today, we are lucky enough to have Rock Normal in the studio with us again, and they're going to tell us a little bit more about what Governor Cuomo has planned for New York State's recreational program and what parts they think still need a little work. First, let's meet our guests. I'm Mary Kruger. I'm the executive director of Rock Normal. Uh, I founded the chapter back in January of 2018 and work alongside these two fellas. Hi, my name is Steve Andwell. I am the deputy chief of Rock Normal. Um, I've kind of combined my love for cannabis and my love for small business and my love for politics into one. So I spend half my time with Rock Normal and half my time running Tiva, which is my small business, and work with these guys on a daily basis. My name is Reverend Samuel, and I'm communications director for Rock Normal. I've spent 30 years as a cannabis activist, producing cannabis-related movies, films, and media, and I'm excited to uh, bring my talents to helping these guys achieve our vision of legalization for all. Now that we've met our guests, let's get to the nitty-gritty. One of the most talked-about subjects I've seen surrounding New York's recreational program revolve around New York's plans for home cultivation. So I asked them what exactly the budget proposed for growing your own flower. Here's what they had to say. Unfortunately, we did get home cultivation in the legislation, but only for medical patients, um, which is more than what we have right now. So it's it's a little bit, but it's not what we're asking for, and it's not what we're hoping to see when the legislation gets passed in April. Um, so what's in the legislation right now is for medical patients, there's a limit of four plants uh, per person with a limit of eight plants per household. Um, so there's a lot of things wrong with that. Uh, one is that it's limited to medical. We definitely need to see that opened up to adult use entirely. Uh, the other thing wrong with that is four plants per person is too little. We need to see a minimum of six plants in flower per person. Uh, and then I think 12 per household is okay in flower. Uh, and then... The thing that I think is most interesting is the vertical, vertical integration part of the medical program because something that we were advocating four was no was prohibiting vertical integration because we see in the states that have that the big corporations that come in with these massive seed to sale operations tend to consume the small businesses so we wanted to prevent that right so Cuomo has really statements saying you know no vertical integration this is going to go to the little guy and we see in the legislation that it prohibits vertical integration but there's a little clause in that legislation that says Unless, if you're part of the 10 originating original registered organizations, i.e. MedMen, i.e. Columbia Care, you will be put into this lottery, to this auction, I guess, to have a chance to get a full seed to sale adult use vertically integrated license. So it's not an adult use vertically integrated license. It's they get to keep their medical vertical integration license, but then they get to open up their market to adult use. They'll be the only one with a store that's both medical and adult use and the only one vertically integrated. So it's very sneakily written, which we were expecting to happen. We knew that something like that was going to happen. So we can't let that pass through in April. Just back to the home cultivation for uh, just a minute in that it was really confusing to us where why, why are they just giving it to medical? Because with the Everything that we've heard, we heard that the medical um, license holders 
were uh, lobbying against home cultivation. So we're like, it makes no sense that they would just give it to the medical and not the adult use. Well, it does make sense, especially if the medical license holders are just going to get to be vertically integrated in the adult use program, and then they would lose, they see it is losing out on money in the adult use program if they let people grow. So the state knew that they couldn't not let anyone grow because of how much feedback they heard through the listening sessions and just from people being vocal about really wanting home cultivation. So that's why that little piece snuck its way in there. We have to continue being vocal about this. We have to make our voices heard so loud. We have to call our legislators every single day until April 1st. Call up Rich Funky's office. You have him on speed dial and you tell him, I want home cultivation in the adult use program for these reasons. So we're going to be organizing around that and having some real direct action alerts for people for at our February 5th meeting. Um, so definitely like calling, emailing, you want home cultivation, you have three, four months to make your voices heard about it. And like Steve always says is that like when we look at our craft beer industry in New York and how many of those really successful craft beer businesses started from two people in their garage making some good beer and being like, we could do something with this, yeah. you know? And that is the same exact thing that could happen with cannabis if we let it. But if we restrict it and we say, nope, we're gonna let big cannabis get all of the market. And if you let them in from the beginning, then you're giving them all of the market, right? Like being realistic, we can't say we're gonna put these people in the market that have millions and millions of dollars and expect small business to compete with them. They're just gonna control the price and they're gonna price out small business. I don't ever think, I mean, this is capitalism, right? And I don't ever, we're never gonna be able to tell the big businesses that they can't play, right? And just like in the beer industry, you have your, your craft beers, your scotch ales, you have your Sunday Pilsners, you know, your Bud Lights. They coexist and most people consume both. So I firmly believe that there's room for both in the industry. But I think if you give all the money the big companies and give them first entrance, you're just going to prevent the small guys, which are, this is, this is medicine, right? Corporatized medicine at this level doesn't work. Like this is a much more, needs to be much more micromanaged. It's much more small scale. And if competition is too tough, they're never going to have a chance. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a way for the programs to work together. I think there's a way for eventually the, uh, the businesses that currently hold the medical licenses to come into the adult use program. I think all of that is natural. Like, it's gonna happen, but they were here first and they also, let's be real, they have money, right? And money talks and some people also want that experience of going into a MedMen where it's like going into an Apple store. You know, like some people like that, but other people don't. I'll tell you right now, I don't want that. You know, like that's not my cannabis experience, but it is some people. So like there's room for that in the market. But if we want to create a truly like a market that's going to over time continue to give back to New York, we need to focus on the small business. We see how good craft beer has been for this part of the state, especially. And if it was just the, the big beer companies, like it wouldn't be the I same mean, thing. There's a so. lot of really good growers out there that have experience and to try to like start from scratch and try to catch up to their knowledge, you would be wasting your time. But there needs to be a bridge because who's going to be 
hey, if you've already have if you already have a growing operation, come forward and help teach us. Yeah, okay, I'm going to give up my growing operation because the state says they're going to help me. No way, right? There has to be an established sense of trust because there's a whole growers network out there that we could tap into and already have infrastructure built. Right? What do you need? A building? You need some middlemen for resales? Like, it's already here. So let's learn from what California has done so wrong. (laughs) Right? And California just messed it up. And what they did is the direction that we're headed in with this legislation that was introduced. They let big business in from the beginning with pretty much free reign into the market and said, here you go, medmen. And then here you go, small business, try and compete with that. And also at the same time, like the taxes in California were way too high, which these taxes are also looking like they're going to be pretty high, even though Cuomo said, and yeah, even though Cuomo said that he knows that he can't have the taxes be too high. So why are the taxes so high? Yeah, why are the taxes so high? So I mean, and we also, he talks, Cuomo talks a really good talk. We knew, we heard him leading up to, you know, this legislation being introduced and he was talking really heavy social justice and really heavy like small business and community reinvestment and low taxes. And then we see this legislation and we're like, okay, so why are the taxes so high? Uh, Why isn't there community reinvestment? There's nothing talked about in terms of community reinvestment. And why isn't there like retroactive dealing with charges for social justice? You know, so all of the points that he was talking so heavy on weren't reflected in this legislation that he's been championing. And those aren't crystal clear. It's not like there's just a line in there that says this is going to accomplish this. Like it's very complex stuff. So it's like it gets lost in the legislation unless you speak the language, unless you're an attorney, it's very hard to understand. And it's really disappointing too, because they had the the poster child legislation to look to the MRTA where they could have just taken all of those points out of the MRTA copy and pasted it and put it in the CRTA, but they didn't want to, you know, because it's not who has been supporting Cuomo financially. MedMen gave Cuomo a hundred thousand dollars in his campaign. He was his big, they were his biggest campaign contributor and they happen to be benefiting immensely from this legislation. So it's not a, this is not a secret. How this all works is not a coincidence. You know, we, he's a politician playing a good politician game. So we just have to do our diligence the next three months and convince him that it is not the right way. If you want to make money in this industry. Consumers this, talk and we're talking. So listen, you know, like we are the ones that are going to fuel this industry. Don't give us what we don't want. The problem is, is that they've written this legislation to include the medical program and say, and there's that one clause and or that one line, it's literally like two lines in the medical piece of the legislation that says, if you're an existing registered organization, there will be a bidding process to go through. Um, and in that bidding process, it does also have language about how part of, part of the, like the, decision about who will get those licenses will be how much your business plan includes giving back to communities that have been impacted by the war on drugs and how diverse your business plan is how about diversity of the board like diversity yeah of people who are in your plan but in we've seen that done in states we saw that in maryland and nevada and then we saw lawsuits against both maryland and nevada because the licenses were given to people that 
didn't really show those things in their business plan where there were other people that didn't get licenses that their business plans were really heavy on those things. So, you know, again, if Cuomo wants to be the best, then don't do these things that other states have done wrong. Um, again, the executive director written, is written into this legislation as well. So there's one person who's going to be appointed by Cuomo who will pretty much be able to decide everything for this program. There's a lot that happens in the regulations after the legislation's written, and they're the one who gets to decide who the licenses go to. They get to make all the decisions. Yeah. That's a problem, and we've seen that that's a problem. Nevada just passed legislation last week or earlier this week where instead of having an executive director, they're going to a board of people. Uh, Massachusetts has a board of people who decide. That is the model to follow, not having one person that just gets to decide everything. And how can you, how can you preach diversity? and inclusivity with a one person, with an executive that has all the power. That has you all the power, who probably power. has no, has never been impacted by the war on drugs and is just gonna be appointed. An outsider, to, never, yes. no experience. So you need a board of people who come with different perspectives and it can be yes. a decision-making body and not just one person calling all the shots. That's a lot of information. And I wanna thank Normal for volunteering their time to go through all 400 pages of this document to help us all better understand this current proposal. Another hot topic amongst New Yorkers has been on whether or not New York has any plans on retroactively clearing past marijuana convictions. Here's what they had to say on that. Um, I think it has that anyone current, like no more people will be prosecuted for it. So it has language about like anyone currently in the pipeline. Okay. But it doesn't say if you were arrested last week or if you were prosecuted last week, we're going to do anything for you. So that's a huge problem. 800,000 people in New York since decriminalization have been arrested or prosecuted. So we definitely, that that is the first and foremost thing that needs to be put into the legislation when this second draft is written. And it needs to be put in in a very proactive way, meaning that it's the state's responsibility to do it. It's not the victim. So the, the yep, it's automatic. The state says, okay, we have all of these people who have these charges, we're automatically gonna do this for them. Whereas in other states, it's, re it's um, reactive. So the victim has to go through a process where they file paperwork. A lot of times there's a fee associated with it. How does that make any sense? And I'm sure it's complicated. And it's it is complicated. State. You need someone to help you do it. And so um, we definitely are advocating that that's the, the first change that happens to it. The last time Norman was on the show, we discussed several lawmakers in New York who were arguing over how the new state income from cannabis taxes should be dispersed. With Governor Cuomo seemingly rooting for restorative justice on the areas that are most affected by cannabis prohibition, I was more than a little curious whether or not the bill had included any language on this. So the MRTA had the tax very um, focused going to the communities that have been most harmed from the war on drugs. So 50% of it was um, allocated to go to, and this is after administrative costs and money towards like reporting to see how effective the program is. Um, so after that money is paid for, or those costs are paid for, 50% of it would go to a community reinvestment grant fund, which is this new fund that would be created 
to create like workforce development programs and just other types of programs for the communities that have been targeted in the war on drugs. And then 25% of the tax revenue would go to um, they're, ca I, they're called target schools, I believe. So schools that, again, are in those communities that have been most harmed from the war on drugs. And then the final 25% would go to drug and alcohol treatment and education programs. Um, so that's how the MRTA all allocated it. The CRTA, they definitely allocate some for drug education programs and for administrative costs, but they don't allocate anything for community reinvestment. Well, it's, so it's, more to, it's more of a general fund. It is a general fund that I believe the executive director gets to, that gets to disperse. And, and we have become aware of when we were in Albany that they said uh, Cuomo tends to want to funnel all the money into the G general fund because he can he then decide what to, to decide do with it. What to do so with it, it sounds like he's recreating his own mm -hmm. you know, his methodology. Pot, just yeah. adding to his pot of money and that's yeah. not what's going to happen with this money. It's like Nevada's rainy day fund. Nevada's tax, literally it's called their rainy day fund and it's the same type of thing where a couple people sitting in a room get to decide where it goes. No, let's, let's listen to the people and let's listen to where New Yorkers want it to go and let's listen to where our legislators want it to go and put it back to those communities because we know that Albany is not responsible enough to make the decisions of how to spend the money. And if getting them to agree is as easy as saying we're going to put some restitution toward these communities that have been torn apart, then that's a pretty easy way to get people to agree with something. Especially if you could like, I mean... There, there's always going to be the state versus municipality tax, but if you could focus on having a higher municipality tax and have the communities that are raising the money, the money goes back into those communities. So you, you know, for, force or you know, you help you know build this industry within, and make them self-sustainable, and because it's not that hard for, for multiple businesses to have a very successful seed-to-sale operation, right? And you, I think the most success is going to come from small businesses banding together. I also heard they are trying to increase the penalties for driving under the influence as well. Is that true? So they're trying to increase the penalty. Right now it's a misdemeanor. And I'm unclear on how it is right now and if you are to get charged with a misdemeanor. So I don't know how they tell or prove that you're intoxicated from consuming cannabis. But right now it's a misdemeanor. And they're trying to increase it to have it be on level with a DWI, which a DWI is, I think it's a felony after your second one. I mean, that is extremely problematic that they're trying to legalize and then increase the penalty when all of the research that we have to look to actually shows that roads can, it can be argued that roads become more safe after legalization occurs. So let's look at how we treat Ambien and Xanax and we say, don't operate heavy machinery until you know how this substance affects you. So while cannabis is different, especially in an adult use program, because you don't need to have a doctor that says it's okay to do it. Let's be realistic and talk about the fact that it doesn't take much to get any medicine from a doctor, right? You go and go into a doctor and you can pretty much get anything you want. So especially talking about like um, opiates, like they just are so prescription happy writing those for people. So I mean, I think we have to look at how we treat those things and we put responsibility on the consumer when we can't have a biological test to look to. So treating Cannabis, like alcohol, is like treating apples and oranges. Like biologically, they don't work They're the same. Completely They're completely different. different. Like, 
And we don't even know enough about cannabis to even make an educated decision. But from we what what we know already, with what little we know, we know that they are fundamentally different. And trying to put them in the same category, it's just going to cause a bitter issue in our criminal justice system. We're going to continue to chase our tails. I think one of the problems that people have is that people who have never experienced marijuana or cannabis, um, their only experience with a psychoactive drug is alcohol. And the effects that alcohol has, especially... Uh, removing of inhibitions or violence or something. They, yeah. yeah, they they think that all drugs must be like that. They just you know do something different. But marijuana doesn't do that, and it and it can't be lumped in with something that it, it it's not it's not like at all. Exactly, and that I think is the biggest problem, especially these lawmakers, right? I would be willing to put money on the fact that ninety nine percent of our lawmakers drink alcohol while 99% of them have never consumed cannabis. you can't. Because you can't, right? Because it's very stigmatized, and a lot of them have probably gone through jobs where they get drug tested. I don't know if our senators get drug tested. Yeah, but you can't work for the U.S. government and smoke marijuana. It's New York State, though. So state, I don't know. I mean, they it's still looked down on, right? They're not going out after work and smoking joints together, but they're going to the bar together. And they know how that makes them feel and that they don't want people getting behind the wheel and driving when you're drunk. And I don't want people doing that either. But I also know that I can smoke a joint and then I can get and drive about a half an hour later. And it's no more dangerous for me to do that than it is for someone to change the station on the radio. That studies have been done that prove that so we really can't just arbitrarily change these laws and further criminalize and stigmatize cannabis consumers that's really what it comes down to since we were on the topic of driving i remembered a story i saw rock normal post on social media recently discussing recent comments made by the new york state association of police chiefs i wanted to see if they give me a little bit more information on exactly what happened he made the statement that there was a 65% increase, 62% increase um, in vehicle-related fatalities in Colorado the first year that cannabis was legalized in the state, which was 2014. That's not true. So what is correct, where that 62% comes from, we'll start there. The 62% comes from a AAA study where they found in the year after legalization, there was a 62% increase in the number of individuals in fatal uh, car accidents who had THC in their system. Having THC in your system does not equal being intoxicated from THC. That is the main point. That is what people need to understand from the beginning is that THC stays in your system for four to six weeks and beyond. I am a habitual cannabis consumer. I consume cannabis daily and maybe I didn't consume cannabis at all today. Maybe I haven't consumed cannabis in a week because I'm just... I'm going through a time where I don't want to consume. Cannabis is going to stay in my system for a very long time, far after I'm not intoxicated. So we can't, like, yeah, those numbers are there. Yeah, more people are consuming cannabis because it's been legalized, because more people live in Colorado, because it's destigmatized. But when we look at the overall number of fatal, of uh, fatalities, related to vehicle accidents the total number of fatalities has actually decreased since pre-legalization 
So looking at the uh, at two thousand three, which was one year before cannabis was legalized for medical use in Colorado, um, and then looking at two thousand eighteen. So the percentage change from one year before legalization until 2018 was a decrease of 3.3%. So that means the change in the total number of accidents from pre-legalization to 2018 has decreased by 3.3%, which is the exact opposite of the information that the New York State Association of Police Chiefs was trying to convey. Um, so, it, I mean, all of the data is like the data is there, but you have to actually look and see what it's saying. So, in that same AAA study that the New York State Association of Police Chiefs referenced, further on in the study, AAA says you should not put per se driving limits in place because they're arbitrary and the presence of THC does not equate intoxication. So that same exact study says that. Um, so people will take data and do with it what they want. It's reefer madness era propaganda. Exactly. It's just lies and it's, driving's a real concern. We want driving to be a part of the conversation. I do not want someone to take an edible for the first time and then drive a car. I don't want you to dab and then get behind the wheel of a car or dab while driving. And we want to be responsible. Yeah. Yes. But we don't want, we don't want to be further criminalized and stigmatized. And that is what this legislation is doing right now. And I think that it would be really interesting if the New York state association of police chiefs shifted the way that they're thinking about this and said, hey, how much people power are we going to be able to put towards solving other crimes now that we're not putting people, arresting people for having a joint, for having a plant? You know, so think about the money and the effort and the time that you can spend on solving all the murders that happened in Rochester. You know, let's let's look at that data after legalization. Yeah, but it takes away the best tool to kind of get them into that, you know, to make the arrest. To quote the uh, the Erie County District Attorney, it takes away their ability to take guns off the streets if they can't search people's car based on uh, the smell of cannabis. Uh, and Crystal People Stokes pointed out that they're not doing this uh, smell test after the Bills games. After the, yeah, they aren't doing the smell test after the Bills games, they aren't setting up checkpoints after the Bills games. If you're really worried about making the streets more safe, then you would be getting all of those drunk drivers after the Bills games. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, the same goes to RPD. If you guys really cared about making the streets more safe in terms of driving, then why aren't you posting up outside of Park Ave Fest? And I mean, I go ahead and do it because I don't drive drunk, so I don't care. I I think that it's really it speaks volumes to the culture and that that's why we're fighting this fight. It's so much more at this point. It's so much more than getting high. It's a culture change. Like we are gonna yeah, and it doesn't stop after legalization, right? Like we have so much left to do after this legislation passes. I mean, the stigma doesn't go away. We don't get everything that we want when the legislation's passed. We don't get all the rights that we need and deserve as cannabis consumers. So 
it's just the beginning. There's going to be a chance when we get to, you know, kind of take our political hats off a little bit, especially if we get a little bit closer to our legislation and really start kind of being the social hubs and figuring out these businesses that want to get in and kind of start, you know, bringing cannabis into their product lines, holding social events, like really being the hub yeah. to that brings, you know, who's supplying, who's growing, how can we create this, you know, local how infrastructure? Create, how can we create ancillary businesses that don't actually touch cannabis, mm -hmm. but yeah. but profit off the fact that it exists yeah. and it's not legal? And I think I'll just say our political hats are never going to come off. I like to look <laughs> to Denver Normal as our model, um, and they are at their state capitol uh, six times this year. They are fighting hard for workforce drug, like workplace drug testing, um, because just because we've legalized doesn't mean that the stigma goes away, right? Like, okay, so we're in a legal state, and then Colorado still has so many employers who say, well, I'm not going to employ you if you come up positive on a drug test. Luckily, New York is being more progressive in that way, and that we have some protections that we're seeing in this first draft. But uh, CPS, there's nothing about child protective services in this legislation. Um, looking at the driving, just because I think that really thinking just about the different interactions that people have with it and it, we need protections written into law for it. I would like to take a moment to thank Normal again for volunteering their time to lobby for us New Yorkers who are trying so desperately to gain legal access to cannabis. They do have some important events coming up, but I'll let Steve and Mary give you the details. So the first event we have coming up is this Tuesday, uh, February 5th at Three Heads Brewery. Uh, that's over on Atlantic up in the city, uh, kind of by the old Sticky Lips. And we are having a kind of a briefing going over the Cuomo's bill, the CRTA, so the Cannabis Regulation and Taxation Act. That's kind of, you know, the executive branch's version of the MRTA, which is what we've been so heavily advocating for. Um, so we'll be kind of dissecting that, the goods and the bads. Um, it'll be social, too. We'll have pizza uh, from Empire Pizza, and Three Heads is going to give us beer tokens. So it's going to be super awesome. Everyone should come check it out. Uh, and then February 12th, we're heading back to Albany uh, for another statewide lobby day. This time it will be part of the uh, Start Smart uh, campaign through yeah. the Drug Policy Alliance. Yeah. Um, so that's a statewide campaign that a lot of organizations around the state are a part of. And we've just come together and said we all agree on these same points that we're advocating for, really social justice heavy. Um, and so we're all heading up to Albany a bunch of times before the budget passes. Yeah, it's pretty cool because once they, you know, they released the bill, what, two, oh, two weeks ago now? And we found out last week on our, you know, on our call that we had that we had till February 1st to fit, you know, to submit first round divisions. And this is, you know, the cannabis section alone is 198 pages, but you really have to understand all 400 pages to make a good analysis. So, you know, the House and the Senate kind of looked at us after that and said, hey, start smart, create these coalitions, understand the bill, give us your revisions. We have till February 1st. So we've been working pretty diligently to put these revisions together. And I think we have, you know, till what, what's February 1st? Friday. Couple days away. Couple days away. Yeah, we have our <laughs> final meeting on Friday, so. Yep, and then we have one more lobby day after that, a really big lobby day that we're pushing for on March 27th. Um, and so all of those events are on our website, rocknormal.org. Head to the events page and you can RSVP for all of them and get more information about them. Thank you all so much for joining me for another episode of the Alchemist Pod podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show and we will be back again with more interviews shortly. To make sure you never miss a new release, make sure you like, subscribe, and share. The Alchemist Pop Podcast is brought to you by Audio Alchemist Studios of Canandaigua, New York. <laughs>